When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey sis, welcome to Girl Good Nightmares, where we help you sleep in melanated peace with a spooky twist. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into the show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading The Queen of Spades, a short story written by Alexander Pushkin in 1834. Alexander S. Pushkin was a Russian poet, novelist, and playwright born in 1799. Pushkin's father was a member of the Russian noble family, and his mother was the granddaughter of an African general making him biracial. At age 15, he wrote his first poem and established himself in the literary community. He is now known to be the founder of modern Russian literature. He died in 1837 as a result of a duel between himself and the man that was allegedly having an affair with his wife. The Queen of Spades is the story of a Russian officer of German descent named Herman who learns of an old woman that knows secrets about winning at the card game Pharaoh. He begins a relationship with Lizaveta to gain access to the old woman who is not willing to reveal her secrets. The old woman dies and visits Herman in his dreams to tell him the winning cards. On his last bed, Herman is terrified to discover that he won slightly more than he had bargained for. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Chapter 5 Three days after this fatal night, at 9 o'clock in the morning, Herman entered the convent where the last respects were to be paid to the mortal remains of the old countess. He felt no remorse, though he could not deny to himself that he was the poor woman's assassin. Having no religion, he was, as usual in such cases, very superstitious, believing that the dead countess might exercise a malignant influence on his life. He thought to appease her spirit by attending her funeral. The church was full of people, 
and it was difficult to get in. The body had been placed on a rich catafalque beneath a canopy of velvet. The countess was reposing in an open coffin, her hands joined on her breast with a dress of white satin and a headdress of lace. Around the catafalque, the family was assembled. The servants in black calved hands with a knot of ribbons on the shoulder exhibiting the colors of the countess's coat of arms. Each of them held a wax candle in his hand. The relations in deep mourning, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren were all present, but none of them wept. To have shed tears would have looked like affectation. The countess was so old that her death could have taken no one by surprise, and she had long been looked upon as already out of the world. The funeral sermon was delivered by a celebrated preacher. In a few simple, touching phrases, he painted the final departure of the just who had passed long years of contrite preparation for a Christian end. The service concluded in the midst of respectful silence. Then the relations went toward the defunct to take a last farewell. After them, in a long procession, all who had been invited to the ceremony bowed for the last time to her who for so many years had been a scarecrow at their entertainments. Finally came the countess's household. Among them was remarked an old governess of the same age as the deceased, supported by two women. She had not strength enough to kneel down, but tears flowed from her eyes as she kissed the hand of her old mistress. In his turn, Herman advanced toward the coffin. He knelt down for a moment on the flagstones, which were strewed with branches of yew. Then he rose as pale as death and walked up the steps of the catafalque. He bowed his head, but suddenly the dead woman seemed to be staring at him, and with a mocking look, she opened and shut one eye. Herman, by a sudden movement, started and fell backwards. Several persons hurried toward him. At the same moment, close to the church door, Lizabetta fainted. Throughout the day, Herman suffered from a strange indisposition. In a quiet restaurant where he took his meals, he, contrary to his habit, drank a great deal of wine with the object of stupefying himself. But the wine had no effect but to excite his imagination and give fresh activity to the ideas with which he was preoccupied. He went home earlier than usual, lay down with his clothes on upon the bed, and fell into a leaden sleep. When he woke up, it was night, and the room was lighted up by the rays of the moon. He looked at his watch. It was a quarter to three. He could sleep no more. He sat up on the bed and thought of the old countess. At this moment, someone in the street passed the window, looked into the room, and then went on. Herman scarcely noticed it, but in another minute, he heard the door of the antechamber open. He thought that his orderly, drunk as usual, was returning from some nocturnal excursion, but the step was one to which he was not accustomed. Somebody seemed to be softly walking over the floor in slippers. The door opened, 
and a woman dressed entirely in white entered his bedroom. Herman thought it must be his old nurse and he asked himself what she could want at that time of night. But the woman in white crossing the room with a rapid step was now at the foot of his bed and Herman recognized the countess. I come to you against my wish, she said in a firm voice. I am forced to grant your prayer. Three, seven, ace will win if played one after the other, but you must not play more than one card in 24 hours and afterwards as long as you live. You must never touch a card again. I forgive you my death on one condition of your marrying my companion, Lizaveta Ivanovna. With these words, she walked toward the door and gliding with her slippers over the floor, disappeared. Herman heard the door of the antechamber open and soon afterwards saw a white figure pass along the street. It stopped for a moment before his window as if to look at him. Herman remained for some time astounded. Then he got up and went into the next room. His orderly, drunk as usual, was asleep on the floor. He had much difficulty in waking him and then could not obtain from him the least explanation. The door of the antechamber was locked. Herman went back to his bedroom and wrote down all of the details of his vision. Chapter six. Two fixed ideas can no more exist together in the moral world than in the physical two bodies can occupy the same place at the same time. And three, seven, ace soon drove away Herman's recollection of the old countess's last moments. Three, seven, ace were now in his head to the exclusion of everything else. They followed him in his dreams and appeared to him under strange forms. Three seemed to be spread before him like magnolias. Sevens took the form of gothic doors and aces became gigantic spiders. His thoughts concentrated themselves on one single point. How was he to profit by the secret so dearly purchased? What if he applied for leave to travel? At Paris, he said to himself, he would find some gambling house where his three cards he could use at once to make his fortune. Chance soon came to his assistance. There was at Moscow a society of rich gamblers presided over by the celebrated Chekolinsky who had passed all his life playing at cards and had amassed millions. For while he lost silver only, he gained banknotes. His magnificent house, his excellent kitchen, his cordial manners had brought him numerous friends and secured for him general esteem. When he came to St. Petersburg, the young men of the capital filled his rooms, forsaking balls for his card parties and preferring the emotions of gambling to the fascinations of flirting. Herman was taken to Chekolinsky by Naramov. They passed through a long suite of rooms full of the most attentive, obsequious servants. The place was crowded. Generals and high officials were playing at whist. Young men were stretched out on the sofas, eating ices and smoking long pipes. 
in the principal room at the head of a long table, around which were assembled a score of players, the master of the house held a faro bank. He was a man of about 60, with a sweet and noble expression of face and hair white as snow. On his full florid countenance might be read a good humor and benevolence. His eyes shone with a perpetual smile. Naramov introduced Herman. Chekolinsky took him by the hand, told him that he was glad to see him, that no one stood on ceremony in his house, and then went on dealing. The deal occupied some time, and stakes were made on more than 30 cards. Chekolinsky waited patiently to allow the winners time to double their stakes, pay what he had lost, listen politely to all observations, and more politely still, put straight the corners of cards, when in a fit of absence someone had taken the liberty of turning them down. At last, when the game was at an end, Chekolinsky collected the cards, shuffled them again, had them cut, and then dealt anew. Will you allow me to take a card, said Herman, stretching out his arm above a fat man who occupied nearly the whole of one side of the table. Chekolinsky, with a gracious smile, bowed in consent. Naramov complimented Herman with a laugh on the cessation of the austerity by which his conduct had hitherto been marked and wished him all kinds of happiness on the occasion of his first appearance in the character of a gambler. There, said Herman, after writing some figures on the back of his card. How much, asked the banker, half closing his eyes. Excuse me, I cannot see. 47,000 rubles, said Herman. Everyone's eyes were directed toward the new player. He has lost his head, thought Naramov. Allow me to point out to you, said Chekolinsky with his eternal smile, that you are playing rather high. We never put down here as a first stake more than 175 rubles. Very well, said Herman, but do you accept my stake or not? Chekolinsky bowed in token of the acceptation. I only wish to point out to you, he said, that although I am perfectly sure of my friends, I can only play against ready money. I am quite convinced that your word is as good as gold, but to keep up the rules of the game and to facilitate calculations, I should be obliged to you if you would put the money on your card. Herman took a banknote from his pocket and handed it to Chekolinsky, who, after examining it with a glance, placed it on Herman's card. Then he began to deal. He turned up on the right a 10 and on the left a 3. I win, said Herman, exhibiting his 3. A murmur of astonishment ran through the assembly. The banker knitted his eyebrows, but speedily his face resumed its everlasting smile. Shall I settle at once? he asked. If you will be kind enough to do so, said Herman. Chekolinsky took a bundle of banknotes from his pocketbook and paid. Herman pocketed his winnings and left the table. Naramov was lost in astonishment. Herman drank a glass of lemonade and went home. The next evening, he returned to the house. 
Chekolinski held again the bank. Herman went to the table, and this time the players hastened to make room for him. Chekolinski received him with the most gracious bow. Herman waited, took a card, and staked on it his 47,000 rubles, together with the like sum which he had gained the evening before. Chekolinski began to deal. He turned up on the right a knave, and on the left, a seven. Herman exhibited a seven. There was a general exclamation. Chekolinski was evidently ill at ease, but he had counted out the 94,000 rubles to Herman, who took them in the calmest manner, rose from the table, and went away. The next evening, at the accustomed hour, he again appeared. Everyone was expecting him. Generals and high officials had left their whist to watch this extraordinary play. The young officers had quitted their sofas, and even the servants of the house pressed around the table. While Herman took his seat, the other players ceased to stake. So impatient were they to see him have it out with the banker, who, still smiling, watched the approach of his antagonist and prepared to meet him. Each of them untied at the same time a pack of cards. Chekolinski shuffled and Herman cut. Then the latter took up a card and covered it with a heap of banknotes. It was like the preliminaries of a duel. A deep silence reigned through the room. Chekolinski took up the cards with trembling hands and dealt. On one side, he put down a queen, and on the other side, an ace. Ace wins, said Herman. No, queen loses, said Chekolinski. Herman looked. Instead of an ace, he saw a queen of spades before him. He could not trust his eyes, and now as he gazed in fascination on the fatal card, he fancied that he saw the queen of spades open and then close her eye, while at the same time she gave a mocking smile. He felt a thrill of nameless horror. The queen of spades resembled the dead countess. Herman is now at the Olakoff Asylum, room number 17, a hopeless madman. He answers no questions which we put out to him. Only he mumbles to himself without cessation. Three, seven, eights. Three, seven, queen. Are you still up? Girl, good night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.